0: This is case 70 from the Shoyodoku. Jin Jinshan asks about nature. The introduction. One who hears the elephants crossing the river is still affected by the current. One who hears that the nature of life is unborn is still held back by life. If you go on talking about before concentration and after concentration, making bamboo shoots and making bamboo ropes, you will be marking the boat when the sword is long gone. Kicking the wheel of potential into motion, how can you particularly travel down the one road? Let's try to bring it up. The main case. Master Jinshan asked Master Zhui clearly knowing the unborn nature of life, why are we stayed by life? Jui Shan said, bamboo shoots will eventually become bamboo, but if you use them now from ro- for rope, can you make them serve the purpose? Jinshan said, later on you'll be enlightened on your own. Jui Shan said, I am just this way. What a- what's your meaning? And Jinshan said, this is the monastery superintendent's quarter. This is the cook's quarters. You shall then bowed. The verse Empty and at ease, without dependence. Lofty and serene, untrammeled. Home and country peaceful. Those who arrive are rare. A little bit of power divides ranks and grades. The fluid, clear mind and body is beyond right or wrong. Right and wrong ended. Standing alone on Earth, there is no beaten track. many koans in our tradition and some of them are so extremely powerful and relevant that we need to look at them again and again and again and dive deeply into what it means today, now for each of us this is one of them Personally this koan has I feel like it's following me around as a companion shedding light showing how quickly we get trapped also showing how available the one road is why are we stayed by life So last Sunday we discussed the seamlessness of the Buddha Dharma and the way it manifests through all our activities well beyond what we may consider formal practice and while the practice of the Tao does not exclude or divide we tend to follow the mind and create gaps and separations based on our feelings or personal interpretations. We create distinctions between what we consider to be within the scope of practice and what isn't. And so following the same pattern of thinking, we also create distinctions and gradations from the way we interpret traditional teachings and related texts. And that includes assigning conceptual meaning to my reasons for practice, breaking up the natural and organic deepening process to defined stages, superimposed defined stages, and creating an idea of a destination. And the last line of the verse goes directly to the heart of the matter and states clearly that the Tao, Path, Marga, is not what we think it is. And it's not what we make of it. Standing alone on Earth, there is no beaten track. To stand alone is to realize oneness interconnectedness, reality as it is, gapless, bare naked, untainted. There, I have no name. There, there is no track to follow. And there's no one who will follow the track. Because there is no one who is lost. But we do follow a path. There is, the doubt. What is it that we follow? What roadmap have we inherited from past teachers, from the tradition? There is no particular track to follow in this wide and open reality. Yet, as practitioners, we are encouraged to adhere to a very particular kind of practice and to be disciplined about maintaining precise schedule or precision in general. While there is no beaten track, there is a specific way to sit, to bow, to chant, to walk, to eat, to light an incense and so on. Why? Why are we doing this? So Back to Master Um Umwon, famous koan, when he once told his disciples, the world is wide and vast like this. Why do you? Why do you put on the robes at the sound of the bell? Why do you bow when you hear the Inkin bell? Why do you bow when you're the clapper? Why do you stand up? Why do you sit down? Why do you put on your shoes? Why do you answer the phone? Why? What Master Uman is pointing at and what most people have a tough time recognizing is the fact that while the world is vast, wide, and untrammeled, and there is no path to follow, we find ourselves tethered to and infatuated with a very particular kind of path. On that path, the vastness of the world shrinks down to divisions, hierarchies, to before and after, here and there, you and I, and on and on and on. And when the world shrinks down, we shrink down. Our sense of self becomes very small and very frightened, threatened. It manifests in the way we see, the way we interpret what is being seen, the way we come to conclusions and in the actions we are propelled to take as results of those interpretations it's a very defined organized path that shoves us into a box from which we try to interact with each other and with the world so functioning like that it's no wonder that we feel held back by life and maybe make other people also feel held back by But is it life itself that's holding us back? Or is it the way we walk on it, in it, the way we perceive interactions? This koan brings up a dialogue between Jinshan and Zhuishan, both studied under Master Dijang and succeeded to him. And at the time this dialogue took place, they were both Dharma teachers already. So Jin Chan, who was the older of the two, asked Shan a very reasonable question that we often ask ourselves. Why am I trapped? But not just why am I trapped, clearly knowing the unborn nature of life. Why are we stayed by life? Knowing by experience. To be stayed by life means to get entangled by circumstances, everyday interactions, by our feelings, by the way other people behave, by regrets, expectations, disappointments, By the mere fact that we are of an impermanent nature. It's a very interesting idea, right? That we, we find our nature to be threatening. Our nature of impermanent. is threatening us. How does this happen? Where do we go astray? It's not even logical, is it? That life is holding us back. This is how most people experience conventional reality. And so what about those who embark on a spiritual path such as Zen? What changes for us? Well, the expectation that is that practice will eventually lead to disentangling the mess that is holding us back. And we, as diligent practitioners, will arrive at that destination, and will experience will experience uninterrupted sense of freedom. And the emphasis is on will. Later, and the practice reveals the unborn nature of life, which is simply the recognition that everything is constantly changing we are all of an impermanent nature and nothing can be held onto since there is no one who is there to grasp life is unborn since it does not begin at the moment we are born this body, this person sitting on the cushion is born and it doesn't end when we die life itself is unborn and undying yet that's not how we experience it it's not just life it's my life that begins it's my life that is being threatened and it's my life that ends completely changes everything it's my possession. So we can clearly know that this is the nature of life and still get caught up by that which essentially has no power to hold us back. You can adjust. So the commentary, this koan, brings up a related story about Zhuishan, how Zhuishan found himself held back and got entangled and reacted. While Zhuishan was studying under, under Dijang, two monks came to visit his teacher and bowed as they were about to leave. Dijang said, both wrong. Neither of these monks said anything and just left. Later, they went to Zhuishan, who was obviously been there for a while, he was a senior practitioner, and asked him to explain why Dijang said wrong. Instead of asking the teacher, they went to someone else. Zhuishan said, you yourself are magnificent and outstanding, yet you bow to someone else. Isn't that wrong? When Jinshan, his Dharma brother, who happened to be the head monk, heard about this answer. He disapproved of it and told Zhrishan, you yourself are deluded and ignorant. How can you ever help other people? Of course, Zhrishan did not like this comment and ran to complain to his teacher, Dijon. This is where running a monastery is like running a kindergarten. So Dijon looked at him Listened to him, looked at him, pointed to the hole and said, The cook went down into the pantry. Hearing this, Zrishan Zri realized his error. The cook went down to the pantry. Now that is magnificent, clearly outstanding. So Shrishan felt that the way he answered the two traveling monks was a fitting answer. And he got very quickly self-righteous about it. So when the head monk rebuked him for being deluded and ignorant, he immediately felt defensive and wanted to push back. Isn't that relevant to us? How many times we feel this way? How many times people push back against us, criticize us, tell us that we don't know what we're talking about. Who are you to say this? Maybe not in such a, maybe more suddenly. But it's there. Or we may interpret other people's reactions as if they're saying that. And then what happens in the mind? You know, the self that lives on through the thinking mind, always possessive of its ground, and when threatened, it will quickly jump on any opportunity to assert itself and reclaim what seems to be lost ground. When my opinions prevail and I'm approved by others, I feel as if I gain ground which I will then protect at all costs and live in fear of losing. And on the other hand, when my opinions are rejected, I feel as if I have lost ground, which I may fight to regain or retreat with a sense of resignation and defeat. And either way, it's a very exhausting way to live. And it definitely doesn't lead to any sense of peace or equanimity. But we often get entangled. This is just the way it is. And we get entangled in what the Buddha called the eight worldly conditions. The worldly conditions. Gain and loss, pleasure and pain, recognition and insignificance, praise and blame. the conventional ways we experience life through our karmic consciousness. And so when Drishan got entangled and went to complain to Dijang, Dijang looked at him, pointed to the hole and said, the cook went down to the pantry. There it is. And it says that upon hearing this, Drishan realized this error. The cook went down to the pantry. Everyday life as it unfolds through moment by moment interactions and activities. How do we get entangled by that? Life. Is that, does it come with footnotes and interpretations? It's just ease. Somebody opens them mouth and then. Why are you saying this? Is it more than that? Is it more than that? A bunch of sounds that we go on to interpret and then add our own commentaries And then feel justified to push back, to feel as if we lost something, as if we gained something. Whether it's my or yours, does it matter? Is mine better than yours? My sound better. The more you think and talk, the more you go astray. The more we practice, the more we see how ridiculous we are and how precious we are and how we cover this preciousness with our ridiculousness. And this is not an insult, this is just a recognition of what we squander. what makes it all appear so personal and so threatening that we feel compelled to falsefully assert our opinions and then act defensively when we feel crossed misunderstood or rejected why? so Rishan realized the pointlessness of his reactivity but of course it doesn't mean that He did not get entangled again in similar patterns of behavior the next day or the following week. Our habitual patterns are extremely persistent. Jinshan understood this and so he asked his Dharma brother, Jrishan, later on, clearly knowing the unborn nature of life, why are we still stayed by life? We may have an understanding of life as a continuum with no beginning and no end. And we may even encounter this fundamental truth by experience. Even in Kensho. Yet it is not uncommon to still get caught up in the same habitual and harmful patterns. It's not what we want. It's not how we perceive the steps along the path. just the way it is. So, Drishan answered by using a simple and logical analogy. Bamboo shoots will eventually become bamboo. Eventually. But if you use them now to make ropes, bamboo ropes, can you actually make them serve the purpose? You know, back in those days, they used to peel off the outer layer of mature maybe they do it still these days mature bamboo and weave it into a rope. So then if you would use a young bamboo plant, it's not going to be strong enough to weave a useful, strong rope. That makes sense. It makes sense because it is actually verifying our own interpretations. So it makes sense to take that and equate it with the way we think. In, in an earlier text from the time of the Buddha, there is a, a story that raises the same point as the one raised in this koan. Once the Buddha and his congregation were invited to a feast at the house of a rich merchant, during the meal, Madjushri asked, is there anyone who knows the unborn nature of life and is held back by life? The young girl by the name Antisha got up and said, I think she was the daughter of the merchant, said, there is the one who clearly sees but his strength is not yet sufficient. He is held back by life. And both Antisha and Rishan answered in a way that makes sense since it is referring to a gradual maturation process that takes time, that happens over a period of time. In regards to our practice, the tradition has plenty of references and examples of spiritual maturation process which are recognized through stages such as Dongshan's five ranks, the ten ox-herding pictures which we have at the entrance, the Buddha's four level of jhana, And for us, it seems as if we have levels of chukai of priesthood, dharma holder, sensei, roshi, osho in the Rinzai tradition. And these are all skillful aspects of traditional practice. And it's not that we need to discard of them. It's just that if we don't know how to use them well, they can become a hindrance on a path that is meant to free us. And it it can actually overshadow the vast and unbound, our vast and unbound nature. Or at least it can, in our mind, put it on hold. And I have good reasons to put it on hold. Because I'm not there yet. and the point we have to to emphasize again and again is inherent nature right we hear it again and again inherent what is inherent what does it mean inherent how can inherent be dependent on steps on seeing or not seeing, on being deluded or realized And inherent means that what is being realized cannot be accumulated over time since it is it, intrinsic by nature. It is, we are, free of practice, free of gradations, and free of realization. Free of realization. Or maybe free of the need to realize. we may imagine practice as a ladder and try to figure out on which rung we are standing how many rungs have we climbed so far and how many we still have to climb before we get to that top and it may be skillful to think that way but what we tend to forget that each rung is already the ladder at any point same ladder And it doesn't matter where we happen to find ourselves at. And it doesn't matter in reality how far you think we have, you've walked on the path or how far you think you have to go. But it does matter that we understand what it means to be on the path. To be on the path. And so we need to learn to travel well. We need to pay attention use all the ingredients of life to the best of our ability at each moment? Are we grateful to the opportunity to see who we are moment by moment and to express it fully? The main question is, how are we traveling through life? And the footnote under the question, clearly, knowing by the unborn nature of life, why we stayed by life, says, watch for the nose pin, and many of you have heard that before. And this is referring to a pin on, on an ox, which was used, or is used, to control the ox movements. And it's asking us to examine where we abnegate their responsibility and how we justify it by convincing ourselves that we are in fact hindered, held back, stifled by what's happening today or by what happened in the past. Because as long as I believe this to be true, I am tethered to this belief and I am controlled by it in the same way that the movement of a bull is controlled by a nose pin. I'm willingly saying, I'm willingly giving my power to another. And the other, in this case, is my perceptions, my belief system, my cherished opinions. Watch for the nose peak every day watch look just just go along with i'm stuck what is it that's holding us back so we have belief system we we hold it strongly dearly opinions But what if this belief system itself is the barrier? What about learning to work with my circumstances today? And what about becoming the skillful master rather than the servant? Of course, we can go deeper, get better, become more proficient. And it never ends. By why, why sacrifice the beauty of this and reject it for the sake of later? For the sake of an idea of later, of something else? Because as long as I'm saying I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And I act based on not being ready. Bamboo shoots will become bamboo later on but if you use them now for ropes well it's not gonna work right i've only been practicing for one month one year five years what do i know or i've been practicing for five years i know No, Aikido is, those of you who practice know, it takes a long time to be proficient, to not feel clumsy, to know right leg from left leg often, to know how to fall, to know how to roll, to know how to interact with energy coming at you, to become more flexible physically. It takes time. Yet, the practitioners, those practitioners who don't mind being clumsy, tend to progress a lot faster. Because they don't get in the way. Because they don't measure every other minute Where am I? Am I good? Am I bad? How far have I gone? How far do I have to go? What's my next rank? Don't bother comparing themselves to other people. Just enjoy the practice. Stay lighthearted about it. A few months ago, we lost uh, a very dear student. He passed away. He was in his mid 60s. A wonderful human being. Very stiff in his body. Extremely diligent in his spirit. He was lighthearted about it. He practiced with us for, I think, 10 years. He did get the black belt. And his spirit was incredible because while he wasn't flexible, he just kept at it. He would fall down and get up with a big smile and try again and again and again. And when I, when I see such a student, I see this person has that this person has gone way further than others who may be much more flexible, more dynamic, more talented at movement. All that stuff is secondary because he knew the how. So he wasn't concerned about later he knew that the how was most important. So he wasn't bothered. He did say once in a while, when, I get, when I'm reborn, I'd like to re, be reborn in this person's body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I could be more flexible. But he would laugh about it. So I learned a lot, his name was Rob, by the way. I learned a lot from watching him, from seeing his attitude on the mat, off the mat. He did not hold on to the idea of bamboo shoots will eventually become bamboo. He was a mature bamboo already so how do you move when you trust that people and circumstances have the power to hold you back or life has the power to hold you back what is the state of your practice when you are convinced that later you may have sufficient power to be present or to not be so easily triggered and reactive. I'm still working on it. How can you expect me to not create this mess? I'm not like you, I'm not enlightened. What does that mean? Our practice is asking us, each of us, to work with the precepts whether we have taken Jukai or not, right? So within that list, the three pure precepts of bind to not create harm, to do good, to actualize goodness for others. But what happens if I believe that my spiritual power is still insufficient for that? Maybe I'll feel justified to work with them loosely, cut corners, not embrace them wholeheartedly. Because I have not yet taken Jukai or because I only took Jukai a couple of years ago or because of whatever. The point is I'm not ready. We can adjust. We we, we should work with knowing two things. Knowing the power of karma, understanding, respecting the power of karma and understanding the power of practice. Karma is powerful. Practice is very powerful. Commitment to practice is extremely powerful. Commitment to not waiting. Commitment to get up every time we fall down. And focus on the getting up. This, the commenter brings up a con, it brings up a, a story a verse that speaks speaks about that very clearly how we think how we want to practice how we want to feel clear yet habits show up again and again pity that my mind is clear but my power is insufficient Time after time, seeds produce manifest patterns. This is our persistent habits. Like a man gone crazy from wine, no sooner sworn off drink than finding some fine liquor again. And this is what we're working with. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to fall down. It's not wrong to find ourselves again and again trapped in reactive patterns. But that doesn't mean we should wait for later on. Because if, those, if I convince myself that those reactive patterns are verifying to me that I'm not ready yet, then I'm actually strengthening the habitual pattern. But if I meet those patterns, saying I'm ready, now, today, then what's the next step? Right? So in reference to this verse, Yuan Wu says, this too is talking about strength being insufficient. And then he says, I confess, that the ancients were so familiar with the doctrinal vehicle that whenever they spoke out, it was in accord with the scriptures. And this is how we need to read Zen literature. Not judge it, but feel it, allow it to evoke, to awaken something within us. The deep trust that sheds light and how we keep creating the same old patterns again and again. Yanwu right, is saying that because it is true that we encounter persistent persistent habits, and it's also true that there is such thing we call progress. Still The unborn is not arrived at or accumulate. When progress happens to those who are diligent, so we shouldn't waste an ounce of energy on the thought of insufficiency. The only thing that matters is that we fully embrace what we call practice, which is what we call life. And that boils down to the level of commitment and determination. Am I giving it all now? Introduction says The one who hears the scent bearing elephant has already gone with the flow. Even the one who knows that birth is unborn, life is unborn, is still stayed by life. If you go on talking about before concentration and after concentration, making bamboo shoots and making bamboo ropes, you'll be marking the boat when the sword is long gone. Now this is referring to a paragraph from the Nirvana Sutra which talks about different ways to maintain the practice it's using an analogy of three animals crossing a river elephant, horse and a rabbit it says that when a rabbit crosses the river it scoots across the surface when a horse crosses the river sometimes its feet touch the bottom sometimes it is floating and the feet do not touch which is neither here nor there But when an elephant crosses the river, its feet always touch bottom firmly. And some commentators say that the Japanese word tetei, which means thoroughly, comes from the story about an elephant walking in the river. And this is our Zen practice. It must be thorough, firm-footed, like an elephant walking across the river. Regardless of how far we think we have come, Well, how far we still have to go? Every time we put the foot down, is that not it? Is that not sufficient? The line you'll be um, you'll be marking the boat when the sword is long gone is referring to a story where a warrior sword fell into a river into the water during a boat ride and he quickly marked the side of the boat at the spot he lost the sword so he can go back and find it. This, of course, quite idiotic, but it is waiting for something else to happen instead of realizing that. It is happening right now, wherever we happen to find ourselves. When we mark something, we mark it, it's as if marking it on a cloud or in the sky. There is a a marking action, but on what? A bamboo shoots will eventually become bamboo but if you use the noun for rope, can you make them serve the purpose and the footnote says he know, his nose is in another's hand so I give someone else the power therefore I have no power and then Jin-chan said, later on, you'll be enlightened on your own. And Jin-chan said, said, I am just this way, what is your meaning? And then Jin-chan said, this is the monastery superintendent's quarters, this is the cook's quarters. And the footnote says, he hit the ball to another place. which other place is there in this vast and unbound path we need to recognize and step into this as is step out of the conventional way of thinking but where is this other place where did he kick the ball to again this is unveiling what is always present introduction is pointing at kicking the wheel of potential into motion How can you particularly travel on the one road? How do you keep it moving? How do you revolve the Dharma? And keep it revolved. And when the Dharma wheel is in motion, where is the talk of sufficiency or insufficiency? verse empty and without dependence lofty and serene untrammelled. and the footnote says pulling apart the golden chains free yourself from what you have crowned as precious my beliefs my thoughts my opinions about me about others about where I'm at about where I want to be that is the golden chain lofty and serene untrammelled. all directions go wherever you want home and country peaceful those who arrive are rare those who realize are rare A little bit of power divides ranks and grades. Or we can say that ranks and grades give us the sense of having insufficient power. And the footnote to that says, forcibly creating subdivisions. Now we do create that. But it is superimposed. As long as we understand it's superimposed. As long as we understand it's it's no more than upaya, then how can that trap us? It's just skillful. The fluid, clear mind and body is beyond right and wrong. The footnote says, if you see the strange as not strange, and then the line after that right and wrong ended and the footnote says the strangeness disappears of itself if you see something strange is not strange or odd or illogical or unacceptable insufficiency is familiar inherit perfection is strange No, this one here not yet but what if we sit with it embrace it, rest in it, realize wait a minute, maybe there is something there then it's no longer so odd so strange Standing alone on earth, there is no beaten track. In commentary to another koan, Tenkei Denson said Before there is the bright sun in the blue sky with nothing to ask and nothing to say. After, too there is also the bright sun in the blue sky with nothing to ask and nothing to say even so even so if that were all there is to it our heritage would end the way of zen would be destroyed this is what is meant by the expression the stagnant water of transcendence so To realize inherent perfection, to realize that this is true, or this is the only truth, doesn't negate steps, doesn't reject moving along a path, but it shows clearly that the path is there as a vehicle, so we can realize transcendence. It's the same as the Buddha saying, it is good in the beginning, it is good in the middle, and it is good at the end. We don't need to be recognized for anything. We don't need to wait for anything or for anyone to approve of it, of us. It's only a matter of recognition, realization, our own realization. But not later. To realize later is pointless. To recognize now is freedom. Thank you.